Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Susie Porton, who's calling in from upstate New York. Susie, how are you? Whoops, don't answer yet. (laughs) Oh, man. Hold on. Now I can ask you, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Is that what you said the first time? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, sometimes us old guys forget to uh, click the little microphone, and then, um, well, you can't hear people. And then first you think, well, what did they do wrong? And then quickly it becomes obvious that you've done something wrong. Um, Of course, this is not about right and wrong. But here we are again once a month now. We only have uh, two more left before we take our summer hiatus during June, July, and August. So if people want to call in, this is uh, one of only three more remaining for this, as we call it, broadcast year. And that call-in number is 347-994-2981. And please press 1. Susie, anything on your mind today before we get going with emails? We don't have any callers waiting for us before the pro- as the program begins, but anything on your mind today before we get rocking? Uh, yes, there is something I'd like to share, something on a personal note. We had a child who had some very difficult challenges a few years ago, and we spent a lot of time and effort working with your model. We recently were together with our son who took us out to dinner. He thanked us for not giving up on him during those difficult years and also apologized for any wrongdoing. He's done well in his job and life. I'm bringing this up not to pat myself on the back, but to show our listeners that the model really does build positive relationships and indirectly teaches the lagging skills that challenging kids need. You just have to stick with it. It's not easy. You have your ups and downs, but over time it does work for both the child and other family members. So thank you, Dr. Green. Um, Well, that's about as good as it gets, but uh, what a nice thing to hear from your son, eh? Yes, it it really uh, was quite special. Very cool. And he treated... And yes, yes, that's the icing on the cake. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's the cake, man. The icing is that he's doing good. No, man, I think I've got it backwards. The icing is that he treated. Yeah. Well, whatever. I'm glad he's doing well, and um, uh, that's the cool thing about this model is. we get that kind of feedback. Now, there's still a lot of people out there struggling with the model, and of course, that's what this program is mostly for. And we have some emails waiting for us to help some of them out, so let's see if we can do that, shall we? Yes, let's. Here we go. This one says, hello, Dr. Green and team. We have been working with doctors and therapists 
to support our 10-year-old son and figure out how to handle his explosive behavior for years. He has been diagnosed and treated and undiagnosed as ADD, key factor for determining that. He wasn't struggling with ADD is that his explosive behavior only happens at home. As a matter of fact, friends, family, teachers, etc., are very weary of our claims about our son's behavior. They don't understand our exhaustion, frustration, state of mind, or reactions to situations because he is such a pleasant kid in their eyes. His behaviors have been unmanageable, not by lack of effort, for so long that his responses at home are now manifesting in vicious attacks at his father and I. He calls us cruel names tells us we're stupid, that we don't know anything, and just gets downright verbally abusive. Um, He used to be physically abusive when he was younger. We struggle with his addiction to his tablet and video games as much as we try to manage these privileges. My big question is, what do you say about helping a child who only exhibits the challenging behavior at home, yet demonstrates capability to be flexible, adaptable in other environments? I want to support him in the best way possible. He has been largely unresponsive to many approaches, including those suggested in your protocol. Thank you in advance for your response. Our family is falling under this, is failing under the stress the behavior brings. We are desperate. Yes, not an unfamiliar scenario, I'm sorry to say. Um, But let's jump in here, see if we can help this mom out a little bit. First of all, um, you know, uh, for me, whether or not he meets diagnostic criteria for ADD is uh, largely neither here nor there. So getting him diagnosed and undiagnosed, um, I'm not sure what that's brought you to. The fact that a kid is, is highly uh, inattentive and or hyperactive and or impulsive in some situations and not others does not rule out the diagnosis, for me anyways. It may rule it out uh, in terms of the diagnostic manual, but I don't care that much about the diagnostic manual because this kid is struggling in some environments. And that's what we really care about. We, sometimes we put the, um, we get things bass backwards. We, we think that if it doesn't meet criteria in the diagnostic manual, then there's nothing bad going on and the kid doesn't need our help. This kid needs our help whether or not he is looking ADD in every environment or not. But that's not the most important part here. The most important part is that he is exhibiting challenging behavior in the home environment and not outside the home. And that is the prototypical manifestation of explosive behavior. Not that it can't occur in both environments and not that it sometimes doesn't occur at school and not at home, although I find that that is the least common presentation, but the most common presentation is home and not school. So, your son is not super unusual in that regard either. Now, many people have the question, so explain that. How does he hold it together outside the home and not inside the home? Well, first of all, let's think about when challenging behavior occurs. It occurs when the demands being placed upon an individual outstrip the skills that individual has to respond adaptively to those demands. In some kids, that occurs primarily at home. In others, 
at home and school, and in some, primarily at school and not at home. But the fact that there's not consistency in behavior across all environments isn't especially unusual either. There are many kids who, and adults, I might add, who keep themselves very tightly wrapped while outside the home but can't maintain that 24 hours a day and decompensate in an environment that some would argue is more comfortable. So we still have the task before us of figuring out uh, what your son's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. I also read in your email that the CPS approach hasn't been especially helpful. I would definitely want to hear more about that because we definitely want to make sure that the CPS approach is being done the way it ought to be done. And the way it ought to be done is using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You'll find it on the Lives in the Balance website. By the way, exciting news, the Lives in the Balance website is about to go through a major overhaul, and the new website should be ready to be um, out there, oh, I would say by the middle to end of next week. So by the middle of March Lives in the Balance will have a brand new website. We've been working on it very hard. I think people will love it, possibly not. We never know. But where can you find the instrument that's going to help you identify your child's lagging skills and unsolved problems on the website, both the new one and the uh, current one? Um, you'll find the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And in the uh, walking tour for parents, you'll find a 45-minute audio program on how to use it. You're all, you'll also find the ALSIP guide, but we need your list of unsolved problems so we know what problems you're trying to solve with your son, and then we need to help you be good at plan B. So if you feel like emailing back to tell us what it was about CPS that didn't go well for you, that's the kind of troubleshooting we love to do on this program because the CPS model should be going well for you. Wonder why it's not. So I think that's about all I have to say. But Susie, as the voice of empathy, you often have more to say than that. Any words of wisdom for this mom? Um, I totally understand her situation. Life in our home was just a nightmare before we um, implemented the CPS model. Um, and I understand that it just takes enormous effort and strength to um, deal with this on a daily basis, but you have to stay strong and you have to do what you have to do. Children do well if they can. The philosophy behind um, the model gave me the strength and hope to... Um, do what I had to do. Um, I just want to make sure that, you know, you treat this as a family problem and not pathologize the kid. As you're fond of saying, it takes two to tango. Um, and that they have the right lenses on, that challenging behavior is similar to a learning disability, similar to a math or reading problem, and um, needs to be 
treated as such. You get the child the help that they need. You don't punish or consequence them. Um, oh, and lastly, we usually say to prioritize two or three of the unsolved problems to work on. In our family's case, we just picked one unsolved problem to work on at a time. And um, while it it took longer to get the plan B ball rolling, uh, that worked for us. There you go. And, Mom, you know you can email us or call in to the program anytime you want. Um, that number again for everybody, 347-994-2981. Don't be a stranger. One, please. <laughs> Don't be a stranger. We're happy to help you out. We ready for the next one? No callers yet, but here we go. This one says, I live in Florida. My son has autism. His IQ is 130, but he tested in the fifth percentile for processing speed. In language, he tested with 1% in pragmatics, below average problem solving, and ability to follow directions. He also struggles with a number of other issues in regards to communication. Currently, the school is giving him five-minute timeouts, which he re- which repeat if he tantrums or verbally stimulates himself, for example, says potato. They believe he does this to get a preferred item or attention. In February, my son was grabbed, pulled, and thrown to the ground and injured by the resource officer at his school. Skin around his eye was removed and bruised when hitting the ground and getting a rug burn. The incident report says he hit a poster, stuffed animal, and book, and hit and something the book at his teacher twice. His teacher has admitted in words, not writing, that she believes my son was only trying to hit the book and not him. And not him. He did not say if the book ever hit him or explain the two times. My son was suspended for physical aggression against employee. He is 10, physically awkward, and according to him, holding his ears the whole time and using his elbow. Uh, the teacher is not confirmed or denied this. My son is extremely honest, as autistic spectrum kids tend to be, to their own detriment. My son's needs are not being met by the school. I am afraid for his safety. I feel punishing autistic meltdowns with timeouts, touching and pulling him when in that state and reacting with restraint when a child is no real threat, just disruptive, is horrific. The school will neither give him the one-on-one he needs or modify their behavior plan. I saw that this dismisses the concepts of functions and instead thinks of the behavior as unsolved problems. I would like to get the school on board, but I have no idea how. I am not credible and a crazy mom to them. Also, I am low income, so I can't afford lawyers or advocates. Do you have any advice or support you can offer? Thank you. Well, good. Now we um, have some of what really goes on out there. Of course, that's what we do on this program, what really goes on out there. Um, I would need to check into the free resources in your area, but you definitely need somebody to advocate on your behalf and somebody who knows special education law. 
if the current setting thinks that they are doing right by your son, then there's really only two options. Persuade them differently or find another setting. Restraining kids is an act of desperation. Restraining kids in a way that gets them hurt is an incompetent act of desperation. Restraints happen after the fact. They are reactive. They occur in the heat of the moment over problems that have not yet been solved, the behaviors caused by those problems. It sounds like it is conceivable that your son can be a handful at times, but timeouts and restraints and seclusions are not going to solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that are causing people to do those things to your son. I am not real familiar with what the resources are in your area. I'm not sure what part of Florida you're in, but if and what will happen is you'll get an email from Lives in the Balance letting you know that uh, we have responded to your email. If you want to get back in touch with us, we will try to do a bit of research to find out what part of Florida you're in and what kind of resources are available to you to help you advocate for your son. But you also may want to contact, if you haven't already, the uh, autism organization in your state. One of the things I'll say about autism here in the United States and globally is that um, there's a lot of support out there for parents, and that support does tend to be free, and you may be able to find other resources that are helpful to you through autism support groups in your area. So you don't want to be shy about that. Those folks may be of great help to you. But if that doesn't get you very far, um, or as an addition to that, definitely get back to us here at Lives in the Balance, and we'll do the best we can to see if we can locate resources for you so that you don't have to spend a ton of money on them and so that you can advocate on behalf of your son. I think it is fantastic that you emailed us, and I think it is fantastic that you know that uh, there isn't anybody else going to advocate for your son besides you. You may be able to get some other folks on board, um, but the way your son is being treated is not okay, and good for you for standing up for him. Susie, I bet you've got something to add to that. Um, I wanted to add that you wrote a great article a while back, um, Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students, that um, she can um, pull up on the website um, under the What's New section. I believe it's still there. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I could look while we're sitting no, here. No, it's still there. I, I just looked, still there. and it is still there. Yep. Good. Um, you have faster internet is, than I do. Um, and it's just a terrific article that, um, you know, simply explains uh, five um, clear ways to help children. Um, the other thing is is that it sounds like uh, there's lots of crisis management going on, and as 
you've said in the past, lots of crisis management gets lots more crisis management, and we want crisis prevention um, that you get through the CPS model. We wish this mom the best, and let us know if we can be helpful. Susie, we also have a caller now. So callers always take top priority on this program, so here we go. Area code 301, you are on the air. What's up today? Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Always. I I did send in an email, but just a little while ago, so I'm not sure if you read it and have an idea of what I'm calling to ask. Um, but I can just go Be- ahead and Depends start. on what it was about. I've, I've got the line yeah. up here of what we're covering today, but I can't. Okay. What's the, do you remember the uh, title of your uh, email? Um, it had to do with um, dealing with privileges. I don't see it. But that's okay. But I can let's go. You. You're on the air now. So uh, it doesn't yes, really matter if you. I have it in my email list. Let's, we've got you. Okay. Let's go. Okay. So I have a 13-year-old, wonderful 13-year-old, and um, I think your, your um, philosophy makes a lot of sense for her um, the challenges that we're having. She, um, I mean, I could go down your list, and there's multiple ones. So I understand the um, problems with Plan A, and I understand that the um, expectations don't go away, the requirements, the parents' um, needs and requirements are not going away. But what happens, how do we deal with privileges? How do we decide um, what privileges she's ready for, or does you know if, a, if I understand your idea, like if a child has a reading disability, you don't say when you're able to read this book, then you can have a friend over. So how do you deal with that in in this system? A good question. The whole issue is whether privileges are contingent contingent on a kid's behavior or contingent on completing a certain task. What kind of, how old is your child and what kind of privileges is he or she um, tugging for these days? So uh, she will be 14 in April and it can range from the smallest um, you know, go to a friend, hang out at a friend's house, have a sleepover with a friend, to the very big, which is, well, or uh, uh, to the most big that I'm dealing with right now, which is she would like to visit a friend in another state. And I'm considering doing this because I've received some um, advice from, she goes to um, Alateen, she herself is not a substance abuser. She's going with a friend who has a relative who is. But I've received some feedback from the Alateen advisor that you should go ahead and take her to see this friend because she is so latched on to this desire and she is a risk for running away or other um, <coughs> problematic behaviors. And she has already been hospitalized twice the most recent This is your one, daughter took, we're talking about. Correct. The most Got recent it. was she took four sleeping pills. Got it. So um, 
there's privileges like sleeping over at a friend's house. There's privileges like going to visit another kid. The big question is, do you want to make those privileges? And there are kids who wouldn't necessarily see sleeping at another friend's house as a privilege, by the way. It doesn't cost anything. It's something kids do. So there are probably some kids out there who would say, what's a privilege about that? But your big decision is, what do you think she can handle? And do you want to make those privileges contingent on behavior or on task completion or on grades? There are parents who do those things, and they especially do those things if the privilege is going to cost money. I don't think you give your kid any privilege you think your kid can't handle. Once again, the whole issue is whether you want to make the privilege contingent on something. Um, I'm not adverse at all to having kids either pitch in or have to make money to pay for privileges that cost money. Sleeping at a friend's house does not cost money if you think she can handle it. What's your what's your thinking about the degree to which you want to make things that you are calling privileges contingent upon behavior and or performance? So in, in part, the, the, the reason why I would say something like sleeping over is she's a very bright kid who is, we think, not doing – she's not doing what she needs to be doing in school to do well. Um, so I'm of the log- I was trained in the logical consequences idea, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. spending time with friends, sure, after you do the work that that you're expected to do. So that's why I'm saying that kind of thing is a, in that sense it's a privilege. What do I think she's ready for? Um, it's very confusing because she doesn't seem depressed, but yet she she did this very dangerous thing. I think it's more um, an impulse control issue. Um, But I don't think she's, despite this very serious um, behavior that she's exhibited, I don't think she's out of control. I don't think she's... um, So she... Yeah, I mean, I think she's. It's fine for her to go and spend the night at a friend's house. That that's not a problem. We don't. It's not a problem in terms of her maturity. Can she handle that? That's not a problem. So, just two things I would say. Then I'm sure Susie would want to weigh in. The first thing is, if she took four sleeping pills, um, I'm hoping that she's either in care or that you are consulting with someone who can make sure that she is safe. I know that you don't feel that she is depressed, um, but you don't have to be clinically depressed to um, do something that we wish you didn't do with sleeping pills. So clinically depressed or not, that's something you definitely want to get checked out just to make sure that um, we're as clear as possible about what she's thinking these days and where she's at. So that's point number one. Point number two is, it does sound like you were trained in what we might call logical consequences, but I must say that I often think that they should have instead been called illogical consequences. And the reason for that is this. If your daughter is not 
performing up to expectations in school. Yes, you could say to her, you're not sleeping over at a friend's house until what you're supposed to be doing in school is done. But if you ask me the mistake that we make way more than other mistakes, it's thinking that a kid can do, can live up to performances, performance expectations, when in reality there's something getting in the way of them living up to expectations. That's where the kids do all if they can theme becomes so important. Um, we don't want to think of this as an issue of motivation. We want to think of this as she would be living up to expectations in school if she could be living up to expectations in school. If she's not, something's getting in her way. And here's the key point. Whatever's getting in her way, number one, we're not going to know about it. And number two, we're not going to fix it. If all we do is deny her sleeping at her friend's house. Um, so that's where I start to question whether logical consequences are really as logical as they seem. It sounds to me like there's some information we need from your daughter so we can know both what's going on in her head as it relates to the sleeping pills, but also what's getting in her way of meeting expectations at school. Something, once again, depriving her of sleeping at a friend's is not going to fix. Susie, right. I bet you've got some input there, too. Well, it sounds like you're going through a tough time, um, but that's the beauty of the model is that it gives you hope. Um, I, I was wondering, is it very difficult for you to take your daughter to another state to visit this friend? Um, it's 500 miles away, but but I'm prepared to do it. Um, I don't know if this will help or not, but our daughter was extremely depressed and uh, for a long time just wanted to stay in bed in her room. And she met someone um, who was quite a bit older than her. Um, and he was from a different country. He was... He was visiting um, our home, and and they met. Um, we were in a position whether or not to let the friendship continue, and um, and we did. We sort of our plan seed it. We dropped our expectation for now and put it on the uh, back burner. Um, I just, you know, again, I'm not sure if that that story helps or not. It does. I, um, good. Um, I let a lot of stuff go in trying to um, help our daughter. And if it was something that was realistic and, um, not too difficult for me to do. I probably did go the extra mile mm-hmm. and uh, helped with that. Okay, um, yeah, it, that is very helpful. And I'm sorry, I wasn't I wasn't listening to the show until I was able to call in. So 
I don't know who I'm I'm speaking with, but but oh, yes, I'm that's sorry. very helpful. What you're, it's okay. Um, My name is Susie, and and uh, you know I don't know the context, so I understand. Oh, Susie's a you're speaking Susie's as a our co-host. She's a parent okay. as well. Okay, thank you. So yes, that is very helpful. I mean, it's it's a similar scenario. She actually met this mm-hmm. person. <laughs> I hesitate to say, but um, mm-hmm. social media, mm-hmm. and the person's a bit older. It is a, a woman, and she actually credits her with saving her life with having taken these sleeping pills. So she's because she's the one who told her to come tell me. So you know the whole relationship makes me a bit nervous, sure. but I you know I I have insisted on having that woman's phone number. I have spoken to her, mm-hmm. um, and. I would be the one to take her to visit this friend. And um, it would go a long way in, in giving my daughter a sense of, um, you know, that, that, this is, that we love her and that yes. we're collaborating with her. I guess part of my hesitance is um, the bargaining. Like, if you do this for me, then I will be good. But I but I'm getting you. I, I you know, I think what I'm hearing is just remove privileges, whatever that is, from the equation and and that there are different considerations in deciding what you're willing to do for your child. Right. Not, you're not bar- not whether you're not, they do you know, some tasks. That's right. That's exactly right. You're not bargaining. You're working together. She's expressing her concerns. You're expressing your concerns, mm-hmm. and you're working together to get a, um, you know, mutually satisfying solution that addresses both parties' concerns. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. That's that's very helpful. Isn't it nice to be able to just think about what you want to do with your daughter? and how you want to help her live her life without having to tie everything to performance. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, absolutely. And isn't it something that um, so often things we would love to do with our kids and things we'd love to have our kids do, we so often put them in the position of having to earn it when if kids do all if they can, they'd be doing fine on the performance end and we'd be having a good time together. Um, not, not to say that there aren't things that shouldn't be earned and not to say that there aren't things kids should help pay for or pay for completely, just that I think we adults sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of the time, are just way too doggone focused on making things contingent upon performance. And one of the rationalizations we use for that is that that's how things work in the real world. You don't get a paycheck if you don't perform. Right. But if you don't perform on the job, you still get to sleep over at your friend's house. And you still get to go on a 500-mile trip with your mom even if you're not performing on the job. And the reality is, if you're not performing on the job, 
we got to figure out why, because employees do well if they can, too. That's great. Thank you. Have a good time with your daughter. If she's not okay. performing up to par in school, let's figure out why. Thank Thanks you. so much for calling. Okay. Goodbye. Take care. Um, boy, we get interesting calls on this program. If someone wants to sneak in here at the end, it's 347-994-2981. But we got lots more email to get through. Here's another one. Uh, this is a uh, lengthy one, but worth it. Mm. Yeah, I think we have time. Uh, my wife and I have two children, ages five and three. We have followed Dr. Sears' attachment parenting principles and developed a deep bond with both children early on. We're not poor, divorced, transient, neglectful, or otherwise exposing him to at-risk conditions. Nonetheless, our five-year-old son has been extremely challenging since birth, very social, strong vocabulary, early reader, natural leader. Amazing young man, but also inflexible, impulsive, and constantly explosive over seemingly mundane things. He's currently in kindergarten and thriving there, at or above standard in all categories, reading very well, follows the rules, is polite to his teacher, but he has continuous meltdowns at home, lasting up to four hours at a time. He screams violent things, tries punching, screaming, kicking, spitting, breaking things. His bedroom is his safe place to calm down, nothing but two beds and blankets. His autism evaluation at age three came back negative. At age four, he was diagnosed by a pediatric neurologist with ADHD. He's met with an occupational therapist to learn sensory integration skills. Um, he's had a variety of treatment to monitor his withholding and uh, feces and his diet. At age three, we established a visual schedule for AM, PM activities and have worked on priming him for transitions. We've focused on positive reinforcement and rewards while also being consistent with consequences. After three visits to the emergency room, two 911 calls, and one aid car transport due to his extreme meltdowns, he was finally admitted to a hands-off inpatient psychiatric unit in early January. He spent a week there and didn't really present these behaviors there. They diagnosed him with unspecified disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder and avoidant restrictive food intake disorder to go along with his previous ADHD diagnosis. We have a care team that is working collaboratively with us. The team includes a psychiatrist, therapist, teacher, principal, as well as supportive family and friends. He's been on um, one milligram of a particular medication since December with no material change in behavior. We will be discussing stimulants with the psychiatrist in the next week. Um, we have a morning schedule and an evening schedule with a small prize following successful and safe completion. Going all morning or evening while following house rules, he gets a star. Five stars equals a special activity with mom and dad. We talk about green, yellow, red zone and using coping skills. Once in yellow, we ensure he's safe and de-escalate when he reaches red. Finally, my questions. What is causing this behavior? Was it errors in our parenting? Teacher hasn't said this, but it seems like her assumption since, she's doing, since he's doing so well in school. 
I've read about ADHD being the cause of ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, which I suspect is his future diagnosis instead of the more vague, unspecified disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder. It's really hard not to feel like a failure as a parent. Number two, if we're doing everything right and he's still having meltdowns that interferes with our family's ability to function, can we ever expect his behavior to improve? I know consistency is key, but severe battle fatigue is setting in. And number three, are the CBT strategies we've been employing at odds with your CPS approach or is CPS complementary, perhaps building on CBT or tweaking principles? Many thanks and apologize for the lengthy email. Don't, no need to apologize. You are living under difficult circumstances. But in answer to question number one, was it errors in your parenting? I thought I read something about him being difficult practically from the word go. Yep, he's been mm -hmm. extremely challenging since birth. So um, I don't know, unless you were parenting him while he was in the womb, it sounds like he came out difficult. I do think that there are ways to parent difficult kids that can make things better, and by the same reasoning, ways to parent a difficult kid that can make things worse. Many of the things you're doing are not congruent with the CPS model. CPS model does not emphasize doing things in the heat of the moment as in the color coding of where he's at. CPS model does not have you um, having prizes, um, does have you having expectations. What I'm not reading in your email is to the degree to which failure to achieve an anticipated reward is the cause of meltdowns in your household. If it is, then that contingency management program may be doing you more harm than good. The entire orientation of the CPS model is, number one, proactive. Um, what you do in the heat of the moment, mm, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe, but um, that's not going to give you insight as to what's making it difficult for your son to meet various expectations. And by the way, neither is a prize. Um, you need a list of all the expectations your son is having difficulty meeting, and those are the problems that need to be solved. And the key point here is that color coding doesn't solve those problems, although many people find it to be useful. And prizes don't solve those problems, although some people find it to be useful. Um, so uh, doesn't, I don't know you or your son, so this is always a risky endeavor, but maybe you're making some errors in parenting, but it sounds like your son came out difficult and still is. If what you're doing now is not making him less difficult, do something different. So I'm not convinced, and this is question number two, that you are doing everything right, at least according to the CPS model. And so therefore, it doesn't surprise me that he's still having meltdowns that interfere with your family's ability to function, nor do I think, am I surprised that severe battle fatigue is setting in. In fact, um, this may be a classic case of continuing to do something that's not working. The CPS model would have you doing things in a completely different way, and the walking tour for parents on the Lives in a Balance website and a variety of books could help you out. And now comes the last question, because we only have a few minutes, a minute left here. Uh, is rewarding and punishing 
at odds with CPS, or is it complementary? suppose it could be complementary, but the reality is the CPS model doesn't have you doing any of those things. No sticker charts, no prizes, no timeouts, none of that. Just unsolved problems and working together with your son to solve them. Now, I'd love to know much more about your son. Um, there are some people in the Seattle area who could help you out. You'd find them listed in the providers section on the CPS Connection website, cpsconnection.com. Regrettably, that's about as far as we're going to be able to take you today. And regrettably, Susie, we don't have time for you to weigh in. I wasn't sure if we should take that one or not, but this dad sounded desperate, and we like to get to those as quickly as possible. Regrettably, Absolutely. that's going to do it sure. for us today. All Susie, right. thanks as always for being on the program, and um, My thanks pleasure, to all of always. you for listening. We'll be back next month with another program. Take care.